This podcast is brought to you by the Yes Collective, a team of psychologists, therapists, coaches, and healers who use the profoundly powerful yet gentle framework of internal family systems to produce collective experiences that change the course of people's lives. Follow us at yescollective.co and on Instagram and Facebook to learn more. Greetings, friends. Justin Wilford here, co-founder of the Yes Collective and host of the Yes Collective podcast. We're thrilled to announce that our first eight-week root work program is filled. This is an amazing program with three weeks of preparation and four weeks of integration surrounding a four-day life-changing retreat in Temecula, California. This program supports deep inner healing and new levels of self-acceptance, self-clarity, and self-expression. If you're interested in getting on the email list for the next one, just sign up in the show notes. On this episode, we have one of our amazing facilitators on from the Root Work Retreat. Her name is Kirby Slager. Kirby is a somatic movement, breathwork, and sound practitioner who is dedicated to creating spaces for people to find their own capital S self. We talk about Kirby's past career as a comedian and actor, how dancing saved her, how she almost missed her calling as a breathwork guide, and how she crafts experiences as a facilitator. We couldn't be more excited to have Kirby on our team, and we are so grateful that we get to share her talents with y'all. But first, a quick announcement about an upcoming Yes Collective Studio Circle that you can join today. It's called Internal Family Systems for Your Daily Life Level One, which I'll be facilitating live every Tuesday evening starting next week. So throughout this four week live online program, We'll learn about the paradigm shifting model of internal family systems. We're gonna discover how all of our parts inside work to protect and defend us and how there are no bad parts. Uh, we're gonna learn about how to connect more deeply with your true self and all your parts. We're gonna practice noticing, listening, witnessing, holding, and caring for every part inside of you. You're gonna learn tools to help parts relax, trust, flow, and connect with each other. And we're gonna open up opportunities to bring IFS into your relationships, personal projects, career, and spirituality. So you can learn more about the program in the show notes. So go there click all the buttons, sign up, join me for four weeks. It's going to be a blast. How are you doing today? Full truth. I'm very, uh, I feel like a rawness. Like I feel I feel like an open wound that's not like no one's dying, but I feel like um, the last two days I've felt like everything is right on the surface. But the beautiful thing is that like, I'm not freaking out about it. I'm not trying to figure it out. I'm just like breathing well, through it, reminding myself that, you know, everything passes and that I've got all the tools I need. But, you know, there is, there's something beautiful about feeling it because it feels like everything is... Um, it's like the veil is thinner almost, it feels like, which feels really mm -hmm. vulnerable. And um, like at any moment, I feel like I could experience a different emotion, but um, but I also feel like really in touch with the present moment, so. Mm. That felt really good. And for you to reveal that, 
I just notice in my own system a sort of just like relaxing into this moment and like, oh, thank you for revealing that. And it, I, yeah, I feel, um, I feel really present and um, welcoming. Yeah. Mm. So we can, we can just dive, dive in from here. So I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. For many reasons, we got to meet um, a couple months ago at a retreat that uh, I helped with uh, for our nonprofit Maxwell Project. And I'd heard about you before that because one of the people who, or the person actually who helped put on the retreat had experienced your skills and magic in breath work. And she had told me about you before we even started to plan the retreat. Mm. And she said, oh, she like, she's, she's amazing. And so, yeah, when um, I got to experience your, not just breath work, but you also did sound healing and then leading just how, how you facilitated a group and how you held space for a group. I was really, I was just inspired. And so as we in the Yes Collective uh, have been working on developing these retreats or what we're calling immersive circles, because it's not just about the retreat, they're eight week programs, some are 10 weeks, some are shorter, but they revolve around a retreat. And you were definitely one of the people that we wanted to bring to these retreats. So <laughs> I'm so excited now to have you on the podcast and then we get to chat and talk. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> oh my gosh. It is my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for asking. So my first, the, the first thing that I wanted to ask about was uh, a recent Instagram reel that you did, because I wanted to ask about your past as a comedian. Like you, you, you have, all, you have a, a really interesting history and then you uh, did a recent Instagram reel where somebody said, uh, Kirby, you, you used to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought you had a really great response, but I just wanted to start off with that. And then maybe that can lead into you talking about your past as a stand-up comic. Yeah, it's it's actually like a beautiful flow into then what I'm – I'm finding myself to be doing now. It's funny. I can't even say that, oh, this is what I do now because I feel like it's just this ever changing thing that continues to reveal itself to me. But yes, I recently had um, someone who she, she comes to a class of mine regularly and she came up to me and she just said, I heard you used to be funny. <laughs> and I laughed <laughs> so hard. And the first thing I told her, I was like, if you studied comedy, you would know that was a genius, genius delivery of a joke. And, you know, what she meant was I heard he used to do comedy. And I fell in love, like many kids in my era did. I'm 38. Um, I fell in love with Saturday Night Live. I loved Chris Farley. I loved Mike Myers. I loved Gilda Radner. I studied her like nobody's business. And for my senior thesis in high school, I did it on Saturday Night Live. 
I found out a lot of these people went to a school called the Groundlings, which is in Los Angeles. So I just had my sights on that of, I have to try this thing called improv. So you were attracted to these comedians and the world of SNL, but were you just like the cut up? Were you naturally just in the middle of things and just making jokes all the time? No, this actually, it, it beautifully comes from my wounds of being the youngest of many kids. I couldn't find my space in the family to get um, attention or approval. You know, I now know this. I didn't know this at the time. And I have a vivid memory of being in diapers and my brothers were trying to take my blanket from me. And I was so upset and so angry and they were just laughing at me. And then finally I let go and I fell on my butt and they laughed and they hugged me. And I swear to God, from that moment on, there was just this seed of, oh, this is a way that I can get approval and love and attention. So then I just started mimicking. I, I was really good at mimicking voices and pretending I was Elvis Presley like when I was young. But I never sought it out because I was always a really sensitive child, I felt. And so to be in big groups of people was really overwhelming for me. So it was almost this armor, this protector. That sensitivity, I'm imagining you had to face many, many fears as a stand-up comic. I don't know anything about it, yeah. but I have heard interviews where famous stand-up comics have said, like, they just commented on how many times they had to bomb, how many times they had to be up there mm -hmm. and just, just fail. And hearing it from them, like, oh, my God, like, what why would any human put themselves through that? <laughs> I know the reward of when you get it right is unlike anything else. Um, but for me, it was, yeah, it was definitely, you know, when you brought IFS to me, I was like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this almost my whole life. I just didn't realize I was doing it because I was able to step on those stages or be the stand-up or be the sketch comic because I was putting on a character, which I now know is just a part of me I was allowing to come through. So the reason it felt safe was because it wasn't really the self of me, the seed of me. It was always, hey, I'll show you this protector or this part of me. Wow. And then I just kind of had fun with that. All right. So I, I, I don't want to interrupt the story, but... I'm just curious, is the protector who would come up on stage, um, what is your relationship like with that part today? <laughs> well, I know it very well now, and it's very, um, it's very intelligent. I've come to really respect these parts of me because the intelligence they have and all of the chess moves they have, for me, my protectors, when they feel I'm catching on to them before I had this work, their biggest ammo with me was um, confusion. So if I started to be like, wait a second, this isn't me. If you, if like a, a, you know, a protector was trying to protect like a wounded self. Um, and I started to kind of catch on of like, wait a second, like, what is this? What am I doing? I don't do this. It was so calculated and so skilled at getting me to be confused and then question myself and how I even felt, who I could trust, if I could even trust myself. So once I started doing this work, I mostly, the first thing I felt was just mad respect. Like, oh my God, this thing is so incredibly <laughs> yeah. <impressive. laughs> yeah. 
That's cool. And then it took me a while to really gain the trust of it and and allow it to, you know, allow myself to my true self to like really start taking over. Still working oh, on it, to oh, be completely yeah, honest. It is a I'm... life's work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you had your sights set on LA. Yes. LA. I had a detour in New York. I got welcomed into a program of 16 students to study stand up and improvisation and sketch writing. So I did a year program there. I did stand up in New York. I hated it, but I had Ooh. to do it for the program um, because stand up, there are so many areas you can go into, but a lot of it is you have to create this persona and you have to really stick to it. And to really stick to one thing was challenging for me. In improv comedy, I can switch who I am on a dime. So if anything gets too vulnerable, I can become something else. For that brief time, what was the persona that you chose? So, well, the other part that was challenging was that my instructor, who I was learning stand-up from, they kind of gave me my persona. I was young. I was blonde. I was from the Midwest. So I was like the ditzy girl next door. So all my jokes had to be along this line of... Um, of being dumb, of being stupid and, and, you know, innocent, but ignorant. Yeah. So it wasn't a persona that you chose. Yes. Correct. Um, And of course, as life would so perfectly have it, that was one of my biggest wounds because I was called stupid when I was in seventh grade by a teacher. And so to then play dumb was like, I was not ready to go there. Oh my gosh. Well, so in the framework of internal family systems is like, oh, okay, good. Every every time you get on stage, you get to trigger like this wounded exile. <laughs> With like no tools, yeah. no support. Yeah. And so this actually ties into, you know, the work I'm doing now. But during this time, I developed a horrible eating disorder. So also when I learned about IFS and how it started with bulimic patients, I was like, this makes so much sense to me. Oh my gosh. And then to have compassion for all of these parts. And as you said, to see how, how smart all of these parts are. And then it's not just smart, but how much they love you. And like, they're all working for you, even though they might be working against each other, but they're all for you. Yeah. And at the time I was sleeping like 10 hours a night easily. And now looking back, it makes so much sense. Like I was so on guard for so much of that chunk of my life that it was like everything just shut down. Um, And, you know, protectors can make you tired and sleepy. And so it was just like, I would just completely shut off. Wow. So that time in New York, sounds like it was a rough, (laughs) that it was a rough go. And then you made the move to LA. Yes. Yeah. Then I went to LA and I went to that dream school that I had seen all these comics that I really revered. Like they, they went to this one school. And so I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make it all the way through and I'm going to make it to the conservatory. And uh, it's a big undertaking. It took me about, I think, six years wow. to complete. And, and I made it all the way through. I graduated. But when it came time for the conservatory, I was voted out. And my teacher called me at the time and he apologized and he said, I didn't even know I needed to fight for you. So I didn't push. So I feel like this is on me. And that again was one of my wounds of like, people don't fight for me. Right. The youngest child, like kind of forgotten. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. So that, that then not getting into that conservatory, uh, it was at the same time of a, a new marriage that was just not in a great place and uh, parents divorce and, you know, all of the pieces crumbling. And my eating disorder was like at its worst, of course it would be. And, uh, and that's when I found movement. What happens next? How do you, it sounds like movement was this kind of crack in the clouds and like some, some, some sunlight comes in. What was that like? Yeah. So if I look back, movement was always at these really pivotal points. Like I always loved to dance, but I never did it seriously. It was always just something that was fun. But at this point in my life, I remember I was on the bathroom floor, which is where like so many breakthroughs happen. It's mm. crazy. There <laughs> like is I swear something, God lives oh, in yeah, the there's like something archetypal about the bathroom floor in modern society. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I was just I was at this point where I I just knew I I was not capable of getting myself out of my current situation. And uh, I had done some things I regretted and I just remember crying and I was like, this isn't me. Like, I don't recognize myself. I remember looking in the mirror and not knowing who was looking back at me. And I just prayed. I just was like, I don't even know who I'm praying to, but like, I need help. I need it. Like, this is, this feels like life or death right now. And I just heard a voice in my head that said, move Kirby. And I had just physically moved apartments. And so I was like, I just moved. I can't I, I move again. <laughs> moving socks, please. We can't please. afford to do that. <laughs> and, then it, and then I heard the voice again. It said, no, move your body. So I got up. I put one song on. I danced in my room. And I felt significantly better. And then... I made a point the next 30 days, I just moved to one song. I danced in my room to myself um, for 30 days. And within that month, I couldn't believe the transformation that happened. Wow. Um, I was mm. able to, like, that was the moment that my eating disorder just completely ended. Never looked back, Whoa. never needed to. So, so it, was, it was 30 days of dancing in your room alone. Now, to one okay, and, and it, it was to the same song? No, different, oh, whatever I was feeling. All right, like I was like, I need to know what this one song is. <laughs> um, so so then it was 30 songs then. was. Uh, do you mm -hmm. have the playlist of, uh, of those songs? Like, do <gasps> You know what? I don't, but I bet I could put it wow. together. I think this is like maybe when Spotify first came out. I wouldn't be surprised if I had like something – that was along those lines within, within, within my archives. Do you remember one or two of those songs at, that were really special to you at that time yeah. that, that you really made a difference? Yes. I mean, I remember the song Hallelujah by, I think it was like the Pentatonix version, which is an acapella version. Um, yeah. I remember, um, I don't, I'm not remembering her last name. Her first name is Lauren and the song is called uh, rescue you, I believe. Oh, is her last um, name with a D? Is it Laura? Yeah, D. D yes, like Dangle or something like that, right? Dangle or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Oh, 
she has a really beautiful voice. I don't know that song, but I, I like imagining yeah. the artist. Yeah. Oh, it's so it's so beautiful how music and dance together. It's so healing. And as you know, I, I do a conscious dance event twice a month here. And, and it was a, like, it was just a calling. It was just, yeah, this voice, like, you need to do this. And it, if no one else shows up, that's fine, because you need to be dancing as well. So <laughs> like, you're just going to DJ and dance. Yes. And if other people happen to be there, that'll be awesome too. I was going to say, I always find that that's such a wonderful way to start something when it's like, I know I need this. If no one shows up, I still, I still am going to do this anyways. So I might as well open up the invitation. Yeah. And so it starts with 30 days of dancing, one song a day. Your Instagram feed is just, you are continuing to do this. You're continuing to just dance. It seems like one song a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, at the time, like I've always been, I feel like the truth of me, like the seed of me, I always call it, is quite shy. Like very, I love people. I love being around people, but I love to just be a listener. I love to be quiet and listen. And so this movement practice was truly just for me. But as I continued it, I was like, there is something here. I don't know what it is, but there is something here and I feel like I need to share it. So at the time, I, I remember my first dance that I did on Instagram, and I was terrified. I was like shaking my whole chest. I was sweating. <laughs> and then, but I dedicated myself. I was like, I'm going to do it for 30 days. I'm going to call it 30 days of movement. And I'm doing this for me, just like you said. Like Because every time I did 30 days and I committed to that, I always moved through something huge. Um, and within 30 days, that Instagram account, went from, I think I had like a thousand, I don't know, 700 friends. At that time, Instagram was kind of friends still. Uh, 7,000 to, uh, or sorry, 700 to 15,000 in one month. Whoa. And at that point I was like, okay, there's clearly something here. Obviously it wasn't all good attention, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at the time... At the time, I was still way too insecure and vulnerable with all of those eyes on me and all of the comments coming in. And, you know, most of it has always been supportive, but I wasn't quite ready for, for the other side of it. So I shut down that account completely. I left Instagram for like two years. And then during COVID is when I came back. Wow. So this starts with movement. It gets really big. It gets too much. And then you shut it down yeah. and then you have come back, but it didn't stop with movement. So you got into, so it's breath and sound as well. So what was the trajectory there from movement to breath and sound? Breath work was brought to me about the same exact time that I had that kind of message of movement come through. But unfortunately, it was brought to me through someone who was using it for personal gain, um, somebody who used it as um, almost a place to to pedestal themselves. And so even though it was introduced to me as this really powerful practice, it also had this, it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth of, um, you know, this is something that should be treated with more respect. And this is something that can be incredibly powerful. And I believe, like, I, I don't believe this person is in integrity. So I went away from breath work for a while. And then it just like kept 
knocking on my door. It kept being brought to me. And I was like, yeah, it's not for me. That's not for me. And it wasn't until someone who I had developed a really close friendship with, she came to me one day and she was just like, look, there's a place in San Diego. They're hiring breathwork instructors. I think you should try out. She's like, I really, there's just something about you and this place and what they offer. And, um, and so I trusted her. I did not trust the breathwork thing, but I trusted her. And that uh, brought me in with a company who then showed me there, that there are spaces that are safe and that truly have the client or the member or the individual in mind for for the journey it can take you on. Wow, that is a reminder for me how how harmful some practitioners can mm-hmm. be. That it's not just going to be a one maybe negative experience, but it can like turn a person off to a potentially really powerful healing modality for a long time. Hope, I mean, for you, it could have been for the rest of your life had it had this other experience come along. And that could be, yeah, it could be for breath work. It could be for somatic movement. It could be for psychedelics. I mean, big time for psychedelics. There's, there's a lot of, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, um, practitioners who are inexperienced or who are not in integrity, and that can, of course, be a really damaging experience. So, yeah, it's a, uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> that is such a great reminder, and it's, and I feel so uh, grateful to that person who said, "Hey, Kirby, go." <laughs> Take a left turn here and uh, reconsider the breath work. Yeah. Yeah. And if I hadn't known, like she was so in integrity and if I hadn't known her to the level that I had, I again would have written it off because other people had told me about this place. It kept coming in. Um, but I was just like, yeah, that's not for me. Breath work's not for me. And it took this one individual who I was like, okay, I trust her. She does not lie. She is fully yeah. in integrity, in yeah. my opinion. And so, like, I'm going to just take this one step further. And then that, of course, led on to what I do then. What was it like for you um, as you came back into breath work? What was your experience? What were the benefits for you? I will say the thing that caught me with this location and this place is that they really value the sound, the music. And there was something about, you know, they tried to the best of their ability to sync the breath with sound. And I found through practicing with them, I was just so much better able to drop out of my head. It wasn't just about my breath. I felt like I was surrendering to something that then carried me through. It was the first time I had experienced what I often say is like, let the breath breathe you, let the breath take over. It'll take you exactly where you're meant to go. Your body knows exactly what you need in this very moment. You just have to trust it and let go. And I find that music and sound is such an incredible, um, almost like guide, instigator, medium to help people just get out of their head and kind of fall into that release a little bit easier. You know, if they're in a, a silent room breathing heavy, they're very aware of their breath. But taking their mind out of it with like, I mean, I love drums or like just tribal beats or, you know, something that they can just get lost in. The set that you put together for our retreat in July was amazing. Yeah. So I, I, it, it, was, it, was, it was clear that music was a really important part. And I think about 
breath work as there are breath work practices that have, I think, a lineage with Stanislav Grof and holotropic breath work. And then the other breath work practices are more relaxation techniques, really. But the mm. stuff that goes back to Groff, it's been music has been such an important part of it from the very beginning. And I, I, I really appreciate it when breathwork practitioners take the music seriously. Like you can tell, like there's, there's mm. a lot of care, there's a lot of thought put into it. And I really got that. I really got that from you. And then there is the sound healing, the sound bowl. So how did that come in for you? That was just one of those things that anytime I saw them, I, I felt this magnetic pull. Like I just always wanted to get my hands on them. Anytime I saw them anywhere, whether a friend had them, they were in a, you know, I don't know, museum, whatever. If I saw them, if they're in a store, I was just like, oh my God, I like have to. It was just this visceral reaction. My hands would just want to grab them. So I decided Christmas of this past year that I was going to get myself a set of bowls for the holidays as a gift because, you know, they're not cheap. And that same day, I was like, I'm just going to look on OfferUp or Facebook Marketplace. Turns out a woman who had just bought a brand new set, she was a lawyer and she felt like she needed some zen in her (laughs) life. The first time she played them, she cracked one of the bowls and she was like, these are not for me. Oh my God, the first time? (laughs) (laughs) the first time and so she was just happy to give them up to somebody who was excited about them she charged me nothing and in turn i've sent her like videos of me playing them for Uh, groups and so she feels like she's a part okay so i don't know i i i don't i really don't know anything about uh, these sound bowls. So she cracked one. Were you, were you able to fix this one? Uh, Are they fixable? No, 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 no. That's the thing. And they can crack quite easily. So they can crack from playing them too hard, which is what she did. Obviously they're crystal. So they're just tend to be fragile. You're still able to, but when you use it though. Oh, so you weren't able to use the one that she cracked. Okay. Yeah. I'm just trying to wrap my mind around <laughs> the world of sound bowls. All right. So um, you weren't able to use the one that she cracked, but you, but you were able to use all the other ones. Yes. Yeah. And then how do you keep from cracking them? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the most beautiful thing about them. And what I've told so many people is it's not necessarily the sound bowls that I love. It's who I become when I play the sound bowls because they can be so incredibly powerful, but you have to be so sensitive and quite gentle with them. And so you have to be really attuned to like the moment one sounds, um, the best way to describe it is if you start playing it a little too hard, it'll sound a little tinny. Like it'll get like a little Mm. sharp, but if you're not really attuned to them, you can easily just keep playing and it can just crack. And so there's this beautiful dance that you have with the bowls and certain bowls sing louder depending on what room you're in, how you're feeling, how people in wow. the room are feeling. Wow. So cool. I had no idea. You know, I've, I've experienced sound healing and sound bowls and I have to admit there's a, I, I guess it's a part that thinks... Oh, you know, anybody like, I mean, it's great. I love it every single time, but I'm, I'm just thinking like, I, you know, they're probably up there just, you know, <laughs> just doing, 
doing their thing. Um, and I'm really, yeah, jamming. just, just, just damn And I'm really appreciating that <laughs> that is not the case. And I'm loving how it, it sounds like it is a, like, it's a metaphor for approaching uh, so many aspects of life, you know, just finding this presence, finding this flow. When you push a little too hard, things could crack, <laughs> you, you know, mm-hmm. can, can yep. you find that sweet spot of presence and flow? Also, I can go in with the intention of like, oh, I really want to play the, the sacral chakra bowl today. Like I'm feeling that. And then I always tune them right before just to make sure they're in a good position. And sometimes the a certain bowl will just be like, I'm not playing today. Like you wow. have to crank it to get it going. And other times it's like you gently tap one and it'll just sing. So now, <laughs> now I tune them. That is them. so cool. Yeah. I, 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 now, I'm, now I'm even yes. more in, in, into this. I'll oh, have you play yeah. them when we're at retreat. Oh, no, no. I, 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 no, I feel like I, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm going to be doing, but I am very excited. I mean, I experienced your sound bowls or what, what do we call it? Sound healing? What, how should I refer to the practice? So technically, I guess you could say crystal sound bowls like that. So sound healing could be so many different things that could be gongs. Okay. How would I say I experienced your crystal bowling? <laughs> yeah, you could say, well, you could say um, sound bowl. You could just say sound bowls or sound bowl healing or. All right, yeah. All right, all right. yeah, you don't have to give like the full thing. Yeah, so <laughs> I need to know the proper terminology. So I experienced that in July and it was wonderful. And I'm so excited to experience it again at the retreat. And, um, I, and yeah, it's good to know that, um, that we are, we, we are in such cap- capable hands, but I, I, yeah, I feel like I just want to appreciate it as, uh, as uh, on the receiving end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now that you mentioned, I, I, yeah, I am noticing that a part of me does want to at least yeah, yeah. So maybe just give it a, yeah. Give it a very slow whirl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fantastic. So if somebody coming to one of uh, our immersive circle retreats and they're getting to experience the Kirby movement, breath, sound experience, what is that like? How, how would you describe it? Oh, gosh. I mean, you know, with my background in comedy, like there's just always a sense of humor, play, lightness. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing joyful work. Um, But I believe one of my strengths in my background in comedy is that we're able to go really deep into things without that feeling of drowning underwater. Um, I know when I work, especially one-on-one with clients, we're able to go really deep, really quickly. And I believe it's because I do hold this joy and lightness of energy. And, you know, there's always a balance. Like I spent a lot of time in comedy, but I've also spent a lot of time in darkness and I've experienced a lot of pain in my life as many humans have. And I'm not afraid of going to those places. So because I feel like I carry so much light of um, the work that I've done, I'm able to go to places that are really uncomfortable and really help people through it because I almost feel like I carry 
a torch so that they don't have to worry about finding the light in something. Um, I, so that's just always a part of it. Like there's always going to be a lightness and effervescence in a way. Um, my thing that I really hold on to with integrity is intention. Intention to me is everything. So I always go in with a really strong intention, which I, I like to define an intention as, um, just kind of like a guidebook or a guidepost or a lighthouse. I'm holding this thing stable. I'm holding this thing still. I'm holding this container, however you want to say it, but you're filling it in. Um, and that has also kept me really in integrity with the work because I know that, yes, of course, I'm showing up with the container and it's as solid as I can get it so that you have space and freedom to play within it and put whatever on the canvas that is coming up for you. But I always like to think of, you know, it would be like, the the maker of the canvas that Picasso painted on wouldn't be like, those are mine. <laughs> you know, I, I'll provide the canvas for you, but you're doing the painting. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yes. I, I, that, that was, that was definitely my experience in July. And, and I, and that's also what I, what I hear from our dear friend, mm. uh, our dear friend, Sophie as well. So Kirby, I'm curious now, uh, what I get from your journey is that you are, you're like always growing. You're always listening for the call. Like what am I being called to step into next? What is, what is, what is unfolding next? Yeah. So I'm curious right now for you, what is, what are you, what are you being called into right now? Like what is the thing that uh, might be at your edge that you're stepping into? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> my, I would say my edge right now, I um, I tend to have like a love affair with words. So there are certain words that just feel like they stick to me during a, a time that I'm meant to carry them. And right now, two words are consistency and commitment because I I'm actually quite comfortable with the unknown and uncertainty and changing directions and starting over. Like that's exciting to me. That's easy for me. That's fun for me. It's why I did so well in improv. But for me, being really consistent with something, so showing up on a regular basis and being really committed to something, whether it's an intention or a practice, that is that tends to be challenging for me. But I've I tend to look at what am I wanting in my life from other people that usually clues me into what I'm actually wanting for myself. And, and so when I'm ever feeling confused as to like, what's next for me or what's the next step, I, I like to use the external as information of like, what do I wish I had more of in my life from other people? And then it's easier for me to turn it around and be like, okay, that's what I need to give myself. And those are definitely two words that I'm desiring in my life right now. Mm, wow. I'm curious, what are some of the practices now that are, you are committing to as a part of this consistency? Yes. So for me, <laughs> a big part is my work is something that I can easily get covered and like a moment's notice. And I have for many years, like, oh, I don't feel like working today. I'll get someone to cover, you know, my breath work class or whatever. But I've one way that I've been really showing up 
and I've been doing this for a few months now, it's just getting a little more fine-tuned is like, you know, if I get sick, of course, that is something where I don't want to be exposed in a room of breathing people if, I, if I'm bringing germs into right. the room. Right. But like, I am signed up for these classes. People are relying on me to be in these classes. I am going to show up for these classes. So one of it is like, I have not gotten any subs uh, for any classes or any events. I have not changed. If I set something in my schedule, it is there unless of course there's an emergency or some reason I absolutely can't be there. So showing up, which has helped me build integrity with myself and trust in myself. Um, with my Instagram, that is an area that has been so sticky and tricky for me. I can get so caught in comparison. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I, I just remember you told me some time ago that you, you were – in this practice of deleting Instagram and then and then re yes. <laughs> re re downloading it for your phone, yeah. So is that still? So yeah. I have had listener viewer. I have had such a hard, a challenging relationship with Instagram. So I've had to figure out okay, what works for me at this time, and what I'm finding is that it changes. So there was a period of time where it was like, the only way for me to have a healthy relationship with this is if I get on when I'm feeling inspired or there is something I need to post. And then immediately after I post it, I delete the app completely. Because if, it's, if it is on my phone, I am not strong enough to, not, I'm not even going to say strong enough. I just am not able to not get on it. So, yeah. Well, we could say from from an internal family systems lens, there is a part that will grab the wheel of the bus yeah. and it's like, "Oh no, we are <laughs> we are on Instagram right now." <laughs> so that was a period of time. Now I'm in a place where it's like, "Okay, it remains on my phone. I do not beat myself up for going on to it. However, I catch myself as soon as I start to feel down or whatever it may be, or I start mindlessly scrolling, it's got to go away. But part of my work and consistency and commitment is that um, for as much grief as I've given that platform, it has also helped me connect with so many people. It truly has. It's been such a blessing. So I'm just working on creating a healthy relationship with it and, and posting once a day because that's just where my practice is now. It has nothing to do with anything other than I'm working on being consistent and committed to what I believe in. And I'm going to show up no matter what, even if it's uncomfortable. <laughs> mm. Yeah. 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 Okay. So my second vulnerable question is, so you said when you notice that there are things that you're wanting from other people, you are now... In IFS, we call this the radical U-turn of like, oh, wait, can I turn inside? So I'm curious, Kirby, what are these things that you're now noticing? Oh, there are some parts here that need something from me. Mm. And so I'm curious yeah, what, what, what so, that has been like for you. I'm going to trust the main thing that's coming up for me right now is I have a deep desire for close female friendships. I make friends quite easily, but it's been very challenging for me in the last five to 10 years to keep lasting female friendships. And I could go into the stuff that's happened that's made me feel unsafe with women, but that also is a really clear mirror to me that 
you know, there's a part of me that's like, all right, there's something in my system that I don't fully feel safe with, that I don't fully trust. Um, my mother happens mm. to be in town while all of this is coming up. There's a lot of trust <laughs> that's been broken there. So, mm, yeah, um, yeah. so that's just like one example of how, you know, I think I'm desiring this thing, which I am. I am absolutely desiring closer female friendships, but there's also something within me that's not being fulfilled. So um, oh. I can do the work to, of course, connect with more women and, you know, go on walks with them. But also there's, there's always work for me to do inside as well. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Such a great example of this radical U-turn mm-hmm. where like, or, yeah, when I feel like I'm like I'm kind of grasping outward and, or the, yeah, there's, there's some sort of outward energy that doesn't feel flowy. It doesn't feel, um, you know, really present and grounded. I can always turn inward. It's like, Oh yeah, there's a part here and it needs something. And if I can get a little bit of space, then I can start to notice what that part needs and I can give it to that part. I can, I can be the one. Yeah, because I I tend to be a very visual person and there are a lot of women in my life and it's like when I see them in my mind's eye, it's like I see a wall in front of them and they're there. I can see them over it. It's not like they're like the wall is covering them. So it's like I see these women that I'm meeting that are in my orbit, but it's like there is something preventing me from getting fully there. And so so I, I tend to really trust like the visuals that I get as well. Yeah. Well, that's, that is, that is so cool. Yeah. Because walls often come up visually in mm. IFS work. Mm. It's we, we have, we have parts that take on the role of walls mm. blocking us from other parts or yeah, there can be other, um, other aspects there, but it's, yeah, it's a powerful sign. Mm. Yeah. And then the power of our true self to soften these, these walls. Like when we get enough space for our deep core self, these walls begin to soften. They begin to lower. They begin to shift and change. Mm-hmm. Ooh, beautiful. So Kirby, how can listeners follow you? We've talked about Instagram. So I- <laughs> How can they find you on on this problematic platform we call Instagram? <laughs> so, I mean, that is truly the best way to find me because through the link in my bio is like everything, you know, a link to any way to reach link me. Link in bio. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's my name, Kirby Slager. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure my name will be up there somewhere. Uh, I won't spell it out. I'll save you some time. However, it's S as in Sam. L-A-G-E-R. So many people. I don't know if I say my S's incorrectly, but people always hear Flager. So. Oh, interesting. <laughs> no, yeah. So uh, they, we are going to provide links and all that good stuff. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah. So if uh, anyone wants to make sure, they can just go to the notes mm. for this episode. Okay, Kirby, we have three questions that we ask every guest at the end of the episode. Okay. And so here we go. If you could put a big post-it note on everyone's fridge tomorrow morning. What would that post-it note say? Uh, okay, so it's a two-parter. 
because it depends on if you're somebody who tends to, I'm someone who tends to look to the future a lot. Uh, I'm a future thinker, but I also know a lot of people who tend to revisit the past a lot. So if you're someone who tends to revisit the past, I would say what is for you is not behind you. And if you're someone who tends to be a future thinker, I would say what is for you will always find you. So that's a two-parter. Mm. Oh, two post notes. We got two <laughs> post notes. I feel like everybody could use both yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah beautiful, yeah. beautiful. And gosh, I mean, those those feel like uh, beautiful quotes in themselves, but I'm just going to ask. So our second question is, have you come across a quote lately that has changed the way you think or feel? Yeah. You know, it's it's nothing I hadn't heard before, but I think it's because my best friend moved to Australia. She does somatic movement as well. And she said to me recently, she said when I was just like in one of my comparison whirlwind situation, she said, Kirby, people are always going to see you through the lens of healing that they have or they haven't done. So you might as well just be whoever the F you want to be anyways. Mm-hmm. And it, there was something Boom. about hearing it from her and at that time that it felt like it landed in me. You might as well just be whoever you're going to be anyway, because people are always going to see you through their own lens, through their perspective, you know? Yeah. So... Well, I think we need that quote, or we, I don't know, I don't know why I just said that. I'll just say, I think I need that quote um, on the regular, because I've heard that from, I mean, since, I don't know, I remember being a kid and hearing, oh, just be yourself, or just be you. It's like, okay, okay, sure, sure, but you know what? Um, I don't think everybody's going to like me, so I need to be somebody else, you know? Yeah. And I, and I, I, you know, of course, this is like just common wisdom and i feel like i need to hear that just continuously yeah that if you can just show up with your with your real authentic vulnerable self yeah. that's enough people are going to see you how they see you you know there's not a lot you can do about that yeah and to try and then i, I have manager parts that are like oh but then i can <laughs> i can plan we can get a we can get like a a, a five part you know outline and then we can rehearse this and you know <laughs> just anything we can do to make sure they love us you know <laughs> we can always be better though we can always be better yeah, right, right 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 yes 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 and uh yeah i mean it's 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 um it is so it has it has been so true for me that the more I can just have my manager parts relax back, mm. just come open hearted, vulnerable, and just step into whatever's here, it, yeah. like it works. Yeah. And yet, I still have these manager parts that are like, yeah, let's not do that again. Let's let's go back to the five part plan. Let's rehearse this as much as we can again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, because yeah, well, because manager parts of their job is to control. Like their job is to look ahead. And I always like to say, I probably got this from uh, 
Dick Schwartz, but they carry a banner that says never again. And so they're, they're, so they're like, yeah, yeah, that might've worked out, but we're not worried about what just happened. We're worried about like the 12 year old who yes. said that thing in class and got, you know, humiliated or, you know, whatever. It's like, that's, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're still stuck at age 12, buddy. Yes. <laughs> One thing that's helped me say to myself when I experience, um, you know, s- someone's viewpoint that might sting or whatever it may be is, uh, I just say like, and I got this actually from, um, a coach I used to be with. I just say like, let's say somebody's disappointed in me. I say, I'm allowed to feel disappointed in my body. They are allowed to feel disappointed in me. There's something in like allowing it. And like, you know, I don't have to like mm. it. It doesn't have to feel good, but they're allowed to feel that. Yeah. And I'm allowed yeah. to feel this and it doesn't, you know, yeah. it doesn't change who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean that, yeah, that brings up the old saying, what we resist persists. Yes. And so, yeah, if we're like, if we're just going to fight this and, you know, try to, yeah. Yeah. No more proving, no around. proving. <laughs> need to prove anything. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so last question. What is one thing giving you hope right now, Kirby? Oh, I mean, definitely conversations like this, for sure. Um, You know, it it feels like a cop-out, but I'm going to go for it. I have a little chubby pit mix uh, dog who's asleep right next to me. And her persistence in asking for food, she's almost 10 years old. She has never wavered and hoping <laughs> that anytime I'm in the kitchen, I'm going to feed her never wavered. <laughs> and, and it, as, as much as like, sometimes it drives me crazy because I'm like, I don't feed you. Like you get your food at this time. And at this time, I'm very routine. It's like, she never, <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> and, and every time she looks at me, it's like, I can't help but just soften and be like, it is the most impressive persistence I have ever experienced in my life. 10 years, mm. never wavered. <laughs> 10 years of hope. She will never give up. <laughs> so, so especially oh, right now, working on consistency and commitment, it's like, she's been a great teacher for me. I'm like, just keep asking. Ooh, just beautiful. keep going. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. And that like, yeah, that, that same, like draw, it's like this universal drive and that, that same drive in her that is like, you know what, I'm going to show up every, every time she goes in the kitchen, I'm done. I'm going to show up. Like that's, that's, we, we have, we have access to that same drive actually in, uh, IFS, they talk about the eight C's. I'm sure yes. you've, you've heard about the eight C's, but they also talk about the five P's. And so it's like presence, um, playfulness, something, something, I don't know, but one of them is persistence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so just that, like when we have enough room for self, like we can show up every time, every time, Every time mom goes into the kitchen, we can show up. <laughs> I'm going to be here. Like I never before have I seen such clear intention of just like my intention is. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah. Clarity and persistence. Oh my God. Yeah. Love yeah. It. Love it. Uh, Kirby. Oh, thank you so much. I am really looking forward to all of the cool stuff that uh, we're going to get to do together. Yeah, me too. So grateful. Thank you, Justin. Bye. Bye. 
Hey, if you like what we're doing here at Yes Collective Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, share it with other parents in your life, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes Collective is a mental health movement for all parents, so let's spread the love.